Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. This is Thomas Hill, your host, and today I am really, really pleased to be in the studio with Jane Rowe Gamble. Now, for those of you who are young, um, which I am not, you might not be familiar with Jane, but I certainly am because I grew up seeing her on television and hearing her talk about different things. Um, she started her career in, in college, uh, basically. She was Miss Oklahoma in 1966 and then went on to be Miss America in 1967, which is a, a fabulous feat in and of itself. But then she was part of the beginning of the Miss America USO commitment to entertain our troops uh, in various theaters of war. And then from there went on to a long career in, as a television news anchor here in Oklahoma City and was also seen in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, area through the NBC affiliate there. And then she has, has continued to be an active community volunteer uh, she's on a number of boards. She's been inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. She was uh, appointed to the Secretary of Tourism by one of our Oklahoma governors, and including several other positions by other governors. I mean, she's really just been all over the board, has, has led a very interesting life. Jane, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I wish sometimes that, you know, some of some of my guests, um, I'm not sure that, that you know, it would benefit us to have video and for people to see. But um, when you're in the room with Jane, she is always just full of energy and she's lovely and she's kind and, and just the whole room brightens up. So it's really nice to nice to have you here, Jane. Thank you. It's so kind. So one of the questions I always start out with with our guests is, um, who was your hero growing up? Um, and, and maybe why, and then if that's changed as you've gotten older, maybe who, who is your hero now? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's such a great question, Thomas, and I have um, I'd not thought of it until I had a little preempt of, that you might ask that. And, uh, of course, my mother, I would have to say, I had a, a just fabulous mother, and she was a happy person, and she was active, and uh, she was so instrumental in everything about my life. But I wanted to think beyond that, and I came up with uh, some uh, a celebrity who had great influence, and I had forgotten that, and her name was Jane Froman. She was a singer, and of course that was my desire, that was my passion, was to be a singer in the 40s, and she went um, to perform for our troops, and on the way in this USO show, she, her airplane crashed. She was terribly injured. And uh, she, there was a movie made about her life, and it was called With a Song in My Heart. And she went on to entertain, even though she was terrifically uh, unhealthy, uh, but she continued with that commitment. And, and her story just influenced me so much growing up. So part of my dream, and it was a dream that I never could share with anyone, but it was a dream that maybe someday I could do something like that, that I could take my love of performing and let it serve our military. Uh, my dad and all of my uncles were in World War II, and that's where she performed. 
and then she had a television show, and I remember watching it and, and hearing her perform. But it was really that movie, so I thought that was a that was a big influence on me. That and yet was so remote. But then, as a sophomore in college, the pageant world came along for me, and that year is Miss America, and lo and behold, out of the clear blue, almost, of course, I believed that it was God's direction, uh, I got the opportunity to go to Vietnam and spend two weeks performing That's for amazing. United States military yeah. men and women. So I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later. I want you to tell us some stories about that. But, but tell me, how early did you have that desire and that vision for your life? How young were you when you started thinking, I want to be a singer and I want to entertain people? Oh, it, it was very young, but I was, uh, I think, growing up in a small town with my parents as school teachers, uh, I didn't think people had dreams like that. And so it seemed what the word we would have used would be conceited, uh, to have those kind of grandiose dreams. So they were hidden dreams for me. But I do think that they kept, uh, they always kept me going and kept me disciplined because uh, the music, would, I felt like, was important. However, my mother was very disciplined about that. Now, she never pushed me to perform. That was my desire. But there were certain there was a certain philosophy for her, and that philosophy was, if God gives you a gift, then you return the gift in his service. Therefore, I was the only kid that had to go to choir practice on Wednesday <laughs> night, <laughs> and I would grumble all the way to choir practice. Mom, I'm the only young person in the choir. Why do I have to go? It wasn't negotiable, and I actually loved it. That's a funny story. Well, and the reason I ask that is because it, it seems, uh, in my experience uh, working with leaders and people of influence, um, that they very often have had a vision for their life for a long time. Um, I knew what I wanted to be in kindergarten and first grade. I knew wow. I wanted to be an engineer. I knew I wanted to run Kimray. But part of that vision is always that there is somebody that that person is looking at that that. They say, that's what I, I want to do that. I want to see that. And, and what that tells me is, as leaders, you know, we need to make sure that we're paying attention to the people around us and providing opportunities for them to see what they can become. And we talk all the time about giving people access and people having role models that look like them and that come from the, wherever they came so that they can see themselves as being that. Because I think most of us, you know, had that, P people that, that end up, being something that they wanted to be, saw that in somebody else first. That's that's huge. Well, I just want to follow up with that Please. because that is so true, and I haven't really given it that much thought until looking over this and, and hearing you say that because that's so much of what the Miss America pageant does for young women. It takes young girls who maybe have this inner desire to... Uh, to do something outside of themselves, to say, I'm willing to risk going on that great big platform, that big stage, working my tail off for years to be able to perform and to walk that runway and to do the things necessary to compete because I have this inner desire to be more. And I've seen somebody like me win that scholarship 
and have those opportunities. So even though it's a dream and it's far-fetched, you see it. And because of that, uh, I think you take those steps. That's wonderful. Okay, so you had a, a fantastic career as a news anchor, um, appointed by four different governors to various positions. Um, all of them had communication as one of the one of the core deals. So you've really spent your your professional life communicating with people. I, I think you could even say, as Miss America, one of the primary things Miss America does is go around and, and communicate Absolutely. with people. And so you've spent your life um, informing people, providing them with information, communicating with them. Of course, that's something that's a significant part of any leader's role is communicating with the people that they serve. Um, and I've seen that done well and not so well in, in my career, have done it well and not so well in my career. Um, tell us a little bit about how, how you, in your career, you know, personalized and, and showed value to the people that you were communicating with and, and maybe give us some insight as to what you think leaders could do to be more effective in that. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly no expert. Um, I, I, my career has been primarily communicating, whether it's through music, which it's, that's how it started, but then the primary role has not been through music. It's been through the role as, as news anchor and then as a leader in tourism. Uh, but I think being authentic, is so important uh, so that people can trust who you are, that you're not one way today and another tomorrow, not, not self-promoting, not promoting anything, but really being authentic and uh, been listening. Uh, I did a lot of things well as head of tourism, and I, I'm sure I did a lot of things far less than well. Uh, but one thing I'm proud of is that I think I just knew instinctively the importance of meeting our employees face-to-face, of going to the state parks and meeting the employees there, not waiting till they came to Oklahoma City, but to see. And, and I learned so much that way. I mean, there are just things I learned from them that I could never have learned by reading about it or by email or any other way, but by really being having a personal relationship and with everyone that I could, of course, the time's a limit, but still making that extra effort to get to know people and um, so that they will know me, but to listen and to learn. That's fantastic. So I picked up on a couple of things there that, that I think are really important. I mean, you right off the bat, you use the word authentic. Um, my father, who, who I, I love and, and he's well-respected in our community, um, often says that when we share our successes, we build walls, but when we share our failures, we build bridges. And mm-hmm. people, the people that we're attempting to serve and lead need to know who we are, even the parts of us that are not perfect, right? I mean, we need to be honest about what we're good at and what we're not good at and our shortcomings. And so that, that authenticity, I, I think that's, that's huge. And then... You know, you said it several times about listening. One of the ways, uh, one of the significant ways that leaders demonstrate and communicate that they value the people that they're serving is by investing in what matters to them. And you cannot invest in what matters to people if you don't talk to them, if you don't, and not so much talk, but listen, let them talk. And that requires you to be present. And so, you know, the fact that you were willing to go to where they were rather than making them come to you, um, for years and years, we had an uh, open-door policy here mm-hmm. at Kimray. We said, my door's open. You can come talk to me. But let's be honest. 
who from a shop floor is going to walk into right. the main corporate office and go see the CEO in, in, in his office? And so that open door was maybe symbolic, but how useful is that really? Right. If I really want to know what my people are thinking and what matters to them, I've got to go out on the shop floor and talk to them. I've got to go sit where they are and, and make myself available to them. And that's what I heard, heard you saying. So Absolutely. I, I, I think that's wonderful. That's Absolutely. fantastic. Okay, so... Um, you're obviously a huge part of what you have done historically and, and pretty much what you're doing these days is you're investing in the community. You find lots and lots of ways to get involved and to plug into the community. Um, but tell us about, and maybe you've got a couple of examples of this, tell us about some times in your life when people invested in you mm. and what that meant to you and, and the impact that had on your life. Well, one situation that certainly comes to mind is a woman uh, named Kay Dudley. I don't, I didn't know Kay, and she um, was one of the reasons I became Cabinet Secretary of Tourism. Uh, we had a lot of mutual friends, and uh, she helped make that nomination possible. But then Kay invested in me, and pol uh, the political world was brand new. And it was tough. Just because you were appointed by this governor, all these other people were against you. I had not had that as a journalist. I'd certainly never had it as Miss America. <laughs> all of a sudden, just because half the people, at least half of them, are against you. And it was a new world. And she was so, so helpful. And she just impacted me so greatly. She. I, I, I didn't see her often, but when I did, uh, it was just powerful. And she left a lasting impact because when I would see her, she, I would talk about just being so overwhelmed. And she would say, just remember, you were created for such a time as this from the Book of Esther. And when that time ended in government, I immediately thought, I needed that encouragement so badly. I know other women need that word. And so I decided to do what I thought was a one-year project for women in leadership positions and call it Esther Women <clears throat> for such a time as this. And uh, I did for 40 women. That's exactly what I felt like the, the call was to do. And that was for a year, only they didn't want me to quit after a year. And um, it has evolved over the years, and it's 17 years now, and we have hundreds and hundreds of women involved, uh, and it's just been such a blessing for me. So what Kay gave to me, God has magnified and multiplied in order to share with other women, and it's a way to be inspired, to have friendships, and uh, just to connect and pour into each other. That's fantastic. So I, I sense that you have another story. So I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you keep going. Do you have, do you have somebody uh, about invest being in, somebody else that has invested? Oh, in your there's life? so many people. Gosh, the ministers that in churches that I've been involved with, Norman Neves at Church of the Servant, uh, was just he's been one of the most instrumental people in my life. And I came to Oklahoma City uh, in uh, 1976. My son was born, and I went through a really, really difficult divorce and came to Oklahoma City with no money, new baby, no job. I've been Miss America, so what? Uh, <laughs> it was just a dark, 
dark time, no place to live. Uh, moved into with my sister in the front bedroom with my new baby, and I uh, went to church the servant, and Norman uh, talked to me, and that began a deep friendship and kind of a mentorship uh, with him, and that just changed my life and gave me the strength to kind of put myself together, which took time. It, it takes time when you've just been knocked flat. Yeah. You know, it just takes time. So, you know, one of the things that I pick up from that story that I think is so important, you know, um, you didn't have anything to offer him. Like, being in that relationship, <sighs> being a mentor to you or a help to you was not going to further him, right? No. And so often I see leaders who surround themselves or spend most of their time I'm trying to connect with people that they think will further their career mm. or connect. It's the whole networking thing, right? That we need to mm. be, you know, be around. We're always looking for how someone can connect us to something that's going to help us move ourselves up, up whatever ladder we're trying to climb. But, but what I think is true is that real leaders, great mm. leaders, take some amount of their time. Obviously, we can't do nothing. We can't do that all the time. But but take some amount of their, intentionally take some amount of their time to invest in people for no other reason than that people are intrinsically valuable. And that it's not about what we can get back. It's about our responsibility to invest, our responsibility to give, and our responsibility to, to be there for, you know, who knows what impact that's going to have. Absolutely. And I, I doubt very seriously when he was doing that, he thought that he was helping and mentoring someone who would go on to do all of the wonderful things you've done and look at all the things you're that all the influence you've had and all the things that that have benefited from your experience in your career but it took somebody helping you get back on your feet so that that's that's just absolutely wonderful well you have uh you know you have a lifetime of wonderful experiences and outstanding honors and awards. You've done all these kind of things. But you yourself say that one of the greatest things, like like your biggest thing, was that you got to be part of that, the beginning of Miss America doing the USO thing. And 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 I guess the first place you went was Vietnam because that was the, mm-hmm. the war we was in. So I want to hear something about that. Tell us tell us some story there and, and tell us, you know, how that impacted your life and, 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 and what what that meant to you to be able to minister to people uh, the way that you did. Well, it, it is absolutely what I received rather than what we gave. Uh, there were six of us, and uh, we performed, and it was like stepping into a different world uh, to see some place where poverty was just rampant, like Vietnam at that time, to see war. Uh, when, when do we see true combat and war. So every minute there was an experience. But what it, what it did lifelong was just make me crazy patriotic. Uh, the sacrifice of our military men and women is just beyond understanding unless you've lived with someone or you've served. Uh, the sacrifice is so great. Uh, what America has even today with all the problems that we have, this is a great country. And it's great because of the sacrifice. And so it was just a privilege and honor for us to be able to be there for two weeks, two measly weeks, but they were life-changing. And um, very grateful to have been able to, to have seen that, to experienced it. 
Tell us, I mean, there's got to have been, an, uh, I'm sure that, that you have a book full of crazy things that happened or, you know, just just give us a little taste of what it was like to, to be over there and well, to be part of that troupe and, you know, the things that happened to you. Well, the crazy thing is to perform for that many men who will stand in line and sit in the rain for hours and hours and hours before the show starts. And we had this number that we thought was really cute that was, Sam, you made the pants too long. And we wore army fatigues, and they were great big. And and uh, we thought it was so cute. And, and the American audience that we performed it for thought it was really cute. And so we came out in our army fatigues and sang this song. And they hated it because they did not want to see American women in army fatigues. <laughs> <laughs> They wanted to see the best dresses we had, and we ditched the army fatigues. We did the number, <laughs> but we didn't do it in those. We wanted, and, and then we would stand in line afterwards for as long as it took to just to shake hands, and uh, whether it was in the rain or not, it didn't matter. Uh, they were the greatest audience that anyone ever gets to perform for. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, all you had to do was walk out, and they were just, wow. <laughs> it was that, great. That's amazing. So I, I know that, that, you know, the time you spent, you know, you didn't spend a lot of time with the individual soldiers and stuff like that, but you did, you know, they came up and shook your hand and I'm sure people wanted autographs and things like that. Get, give us some sense of, of, you know, what, how, how were you all? I mean, obviously they were excited. I mean, I'm sure that some of them said, you know, thank you or, and, and probably some of them said a lot more than that. What, what are some of the, what are some of the experiences there that 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 just that that you've kept with you? Well, what was so uh, precious at the time is that these were our peers. My cousin was there. They brought him in from. He, he didn't know why he was brought in. He was in you know in a ditch someplace, just filthy, dirty, and been there for weeks. And all of a sudden, they called him and they brought him in and he showered and he had on clean clothes and and it was to see us. And uh, there were two guys from Laverne, my little hometown, who were serving that were around my age. So of course, I knew them. But that was multiplied with everyone uh, all, who was traveling together. So Miss Tennessee, you know, and we visited all the hospitals uh, that we could. And so to, just to, to talk, you know, and just it was we truly were a piece of home for them. And that was the best thing. We were just a reminder of, of what home was. And, you know, at the time, home wasn't very welcoming, but we were. We came all this way because you're important to us, and we thank you, and we think you're the best. And uh, now I understand why it felt so good to them, why it mattered so much. At the time, we just thought, wow, aren't we special? <laughs> But uh, now I, I understand better why it felt so important to them that we would come. Because uh, we were, it, it was rough. I mean, it wasn't, there were no resorts on the itinerary. <laughs> my, uh, my father served in Vietnam. and um, I remember it, that. It's very Marine. difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult to get him to talk about yeah. it. Because um, the guys that were on the ground, those were experiences that they they mostly want to leave in the in the past, but we get a few stories out of him, and 
and uh, the conditions were were rough. They were. And I, I can't imagine that they were able to improve those conditions significantly for you all. So I imagine you weren't eating the best food and you weren't <laughs> sleeping in comfy beds with feather pillows and things no. like that. It was probably a rough, rough trip, wasn't it? It was very rough. Uh, part of the great interest was how we uh, traveled, though, and, and the type of uh, helicopters and all different kinds of helicopters. And the first time we got on, I kept thinking, aren't they going to close this door? <laughs> Which, of course, they don't. And you've got a man with, you know, guns all around you and uh, we also landed and took off from an aircraft carrier, and that's thrilling. Uh, so, I mean, those experiences. Did you do just, a performance on an aircraft we carrier? We did. Oh, yes, how cool is that? Yes, on the deck. It was the uh, anniversary of the Constitution, I think, or Constellation, the aircraft carrier Constellation. I think that's in the harbor in, in New York now. Uh, but we were we were there. <laughs> We got the captain's quarters, so that was the nicest place we ever <laughs> stayed throughout the trip. The rest of the time, it was pretty rough, but, you know, it wasn't for us. It, we just had a great time. That's amazing. It was so rewarding. And, and, it's, and, and what a great story of, you know, being willing. And I, I, I appreciate you being honest that, you know, you thought you were doing, you know, you thought it was pretty great, you know, and yeah. it, was a, it was kind of a dream come true. But at the same time, you were willing to sacrifice. You were willing to put yourself in harm's way and, and to go so that you could do something for somebody else, do something that would matter to them. And, and I see that missing in a lot of leadership these days, and, and not just in individual leaders, but, but in our organizations and, and kind of in our processes that, that we often are looking for what the people that we lead can do for us or do for our organization. We want from them, but what are we willing to do? You know, what are we willing to do in return? What are we willing to give back? One of the things that, that really concerns me uh, about leadership um, when it goes wrong is that I, I get a sense from some leaders that they, that they own the people that work for them, mm-hmm. you know, in the, for the hours that they're there. You know, the kind of the, I'm paying you to be here, and so while you're on the clock, you, you belong to me. And I much prefer to think of it as, as we're renting the people that, mm. that are in our organizations. And, you know, if somebody, or we're borrowing the people, not renting, but we're borrowing the people. You know, if somebody came over and knocked on my door, my neighbor, and asked to borrow my lawnmower, I'd probably let them because I'm a nice guy. But if they brought my lawnmower back all beat mm. up and dirty and out of gas and broken, I'd probably never talk to that guy again, right? And so often I see organizations that that's exactly what we, they do. They borrow people from their families, from their spouses, from their kids, from their communities. We're borrowing them for a a time. And they, you know, break them and beat them up and and send them home out of gas, you know, and and dirty and uh, and there's nothing really left for them at home. And so I, you know, I really think that we have to, as leaders, turn that around. And, And that's that's such a great story because it's not about a CEO or an organization, but it's the exact same concept. It's the concept yes. of what are you willing to do for someone else to demonstrate that you care about them and that they're valuable and they're important. And I know that meant a, a world to those people. Well, I always ask a, a final question, and, uh, and I'm really excited to hear what you say because I know that um, you, have, you were uh, mentored and aided in, in your career and unfortunately, as far as we've come, um, this is still there's still a long way to go to get more women into leadership and to make the path into leadership for women better. So I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say 
to emerging leaders, particularly women who want to be in leadership, what, what advice would you give them? Um, I think it's important to uh, really be a positive person. I, I, it doesn't mean that you don't point out problems or, or turn a blind eye to problems, but I think it's important to always try to work towards solutions and not be just a complainer. <laughs> I don't think people are drawn to complainers, but how can we make this work? Uh, and to, to be a caring person, caring about the team around you. One of the things I loved about news work is that you are really a team. Uh, there's a hierarchy of sorts, but it kind of fades because it's not based on who makes the most money. Uh, because if you don't do your job, then you don't look well. If, if this person doesn't do that, then this person doesn't do well. And if you all don't do your best, then the ratings aren't going to improve. And that's it. And uh, so I love the team approach to that profession because it's very dependent on the news director, the assignment editor, yes, the on-air people, but the photographers, the editors, everybody. And uh, I think there's a lot more enjoyment in working in that kind of environment as well. I think it's important to not burn bridges. Uh, you can leave, but leave well. If you've got to leave a situation, then try to leave it well instead of telling everybody off, that kind of details, I suppose, uh, just being a person of character and integrity. I think women still have a, has, have a struggle because you like to think that, I, th I think it's not smart to say to young women, you can have it all. You can be a great wife and a mother and have six kids and be the CEO. It's hard to have it all at the same time. So I always encourage them to think in terms of seasons. Mm. And um, there's not a more important role than being a mother. And uh, that doesn't mean whether you work or don't work. Um, I didn't have a choice about working. I was a single mom. But I loved working, too. Uh, but nothing in my life has been as important as being a mom. But you have to juggle all that. And... and Sometimes it means that maybe you don't go to this job for this season. You really don't have your children very long. Right. And I'm, I, you're seeing that. <laughs> yeah, mine are, mine are mostly gone. <laughs> that season's coming to a close at yeah. my house for sure. And, but then you have a lot of time left and energy to pursue those leadership activities. It's, it's unfortunate that it often happens at the same time, those opportunities uh, to get a good start and get your foot in the door and work like crazy and then children, but it's a lot easier than it used to be. But yeah, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. It has been so much fun talking to you. Oh, you too. I, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, you're the kind of person that people should invite over for the holidays because, you know, after everybody's had the meal, you're always looking for great stories to tell. And, <laughs> and you would be, you know, you would just be continuing to tell tell fantastic stories. And, okay. and so much of your experience uh, is so applicable uh, to, to everybody else's life. And so I really appreciate you sharing your stories and sharing yourself and your time with us today. You are so welcome. I enjoyed it so much, Thomas. Well, and, and you know, I think so highly of you and your dad and your mom. 
uh, just such incredible people, and the influence you have on others is really wonderful. Well, thank you. I uh, I will accept that praise on behalf of my father. I'm not I'm not sure that I've completely filled those shoes yet, but we'll keep working on that. Well, this has been Word from the Herd. We've had a great time talking to Jane Giroux Gamble, and I hope that uh, you've enjoyed it too, and I hope that you'll join us again next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at The Kimmel FDN. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.